If you would take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. When you make your way there, let's do something different today. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Been sitting for a little while. Time to stand, right? Let's honor the reading of God's Word together. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we'll start there. Stand if you're able, that is. I'll put it that way. Let's read the first seven verses as we prepare to preach from God's Word. Hear the Word of the Lord. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Lord, help us to see what you would have us to see in your word. Um, what we have not, uh, give us. What we are not, make us, Lord. Open our ears to hear that we may honor you, God, in the preaching of the word, in the exposition of the word, in the giving of truth for the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We uh, are arriving at a new section in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. And as we do so, we want to take just a moment to reflect on the structure of the letter so far. It's kind of helpful to say, okay, where did, how did we get here? And we'll take just a few minutes to do that. After... Um, an introduction and then an explanation on why he had sent a letter by way of Titus rather than visiting the Corinthians himself as he had originally planned. Paul then spent several chapters defending his apostolic authority against false teachers and opponents that had arrived in Corinth, slandering his name. You're no doubt familiar with that, but it's good to continue talking about it. One of the great things we get to see in those verses is his unique insight into the sacrificial and self-giving apostolic office that was granted to Paul by Jesus Christ. Additionally, we also came to see that conflict had arisen between the Apostle Paul and the church there in Corinth due to certain circumstances that had taken place. The Corinthian church had been frustrated with Paul because he had rebuked them sharply and uh, concerning issues of sexual immorality and, and issues of idolatry. They had some disappointment in him for various other reasons. And people with nefarious purposes had cast quite a bit of doubt on the reputation and character of Paul. Conversely, Paul had started the church in Corinth, yet they were drifting away from him. He had poured out his soul for them, only to see them fall for some self-promoting false teachers. They had not taken seriously enough his admonition uh, to them about separating themselves from idolatrous practices that they once participated in. And in fact, it seems that Paul was confronted and treated disrespectfully and shamefully by a certain man in the congregation without any consequence of church discipline imposed upon the man. And so Paul was hurt. 
But it's clear that Paul had a deep love for this congregation. He anguished over them in what would be um, the best course of action to bring reconciliation in the relationship that he had with them. He believed that they were genuinely saved. He did not believe they were apostates from the faith. So he wrote a severe letter detailing his anguish for them and for the sin that they had allowed to go unchecked and that was delivered by Titus. To Paul's great joy, they received both Titus and the letter well. They agreed to repent from idolatrous practices and to discipline the man that had treated Paul so shamefully and with great disrespect. For Paul, it showed that it had, they still valued their relationship with him, that they still believed and trusted in his apostolic calling and authority, and he was overjoyed with their response to him and to the gospel, and by extension, their response to Jesus Christ. And that leads us now to a new section of material that begins right here in chapter 8, verse 1. Paul is going to spend chapters 8 and 9 instructing the church on the importance of giving. So we're going to spend quite a bit of time over the course of the next few weeks, Lord willing, talking about the importance of giving. And um, that's interesting that we would do that. Uh, it's a responsibility, giving is. It's a spiritual act of worship that is found in giving as we make our way. You'll see that as we make our way through the course of these chapters. And it is, quite frankly, a topic I don't talk a whole lot about here. I don't talk to you much about, about giving. But it is an important topic. There are so many abuses uh, concerning giving that are made in the modern church today that sometimes you feel like you need to stay away from talking about money. But that neglects an important discipline and an act of spiritual worship to the detriment of the church. You need to know about giving and you need to know about your responsibility and you need to be encouraged and you need to be exhorted and to be generous and, and uh, giving, in giving and, and purposeful in giving uh, to the work of God through your church and then other parachurch ministries and then to other people who are in need for the glory of God. And here we are afforded an opportunity to take a closer look and a biblical look at the discipline of giving. Um, it's, you know... Uh, <laughs> It's interesting, if you, you'll just preach the whole Bible, you'll come to giving, won't you? And so here we are, you know, much as you try to avoid it, you preach the whole Bible, here you are, you're, you're, we're going to talk about giving, and not just one week, uh, but multiple weeks. And so without giving any quarter to the prosperity gospel, which perverts giving by focusing on the gift rather than the giver, and that's ultimately what the problem is with the prosperity gospel, it's not that some, some of what they're saying isn't true to some degree. It's, it's a great perversion because the focus is on what you're going to get rather than the giver, right? And, and it's important for us to know that you can't give out give God. You give to God and God will over and above bless you. And that's a fact. He takes care of you. He watches out for you. Um, uh, that's a fact. Uh, and God delights when people give generously to the work of his kingdom. And he rewards them that give as well. And we can say that without being proponents of the prosperity gospel because we're not out for the rewards anyway. See, the prosperity gospel tells you, you want this, therefore do this and give this. We're saying to you, you know, you're probably going to get some really good stuff from God. That doesn't matter. 
gives it to you or not, what matters is, is you love him and you give to him. All right. And so we'll dig into the particulars of giving as the weeks go by and we'll start by looking at these first seven verses which show us how the grace of God overflows in generosity. That's the title of the sermon today, the grace of God overflowing in generosity. I want to begin by setting up the historical context and reasoning for why Paul writes these things to the Corinthians. Very important for us to know. Um, and here's what was going on. It's that the church in Jerusalem was in extreme poverty, like extreme, terrible poverty. It was in dangerous poverty. And one of the, minis- and one of the ministries that Paul was evidently concerned with was taking up a collection from the Gentile churches that would go and support the, uh, of the church in Jerusalem to help alleviate the suffering of the Christians that were there. And the Jerusalem church was in such abject poverty for at least three reasons. First, Roman rule had made Jerusalem itself poor as a whole, whether you were a Christian or a Jew or whatever else you were. Just the city as a whole was poor. Uh, and that, they, that often happened to other regions as they conquered and when Rome would conquer them and strip them of, uh, of the things that they have and keep them for themselves. Uh, so Jerusalem was a poor city to begin with. Secondly, the Christians there were uniquely poor among those in the city because many of them were simply pilgrims that had come to Jerusalem for Jewish observances. They were converted to Christianity and then they stayed there to be Christians and they didn't have any job or food or money. So they were extremely poor. And then thirdly, the church was poor because they suffered persecution at the hands of the Jews living there in Jerusalem. They were rejected. They couldn't sell their merchandise because they were blacklisted for being Christians. The whole situation led to much suffering among the Christians in Jerusalem. The, you know, did the, the, nah. yeah, I'll tell you. The mark of the beast has been around for a long, long time. Just telling you. you here's how you take it. You say, hey, I'll worship the gods of the world and, and then my goods are sold. And I can buy. And when you're a Christian, you don't do that. See, that's the way it's been. So the whole situation led to much suffering. Among the Christians in Jerusalem, Paul would take that burden upon himself of collecting among the Gentile churches for the support of the church in Jerusalem. And it's important to note that the conflict between Paul and Corinth led them to abstain from contributing to this collection. So there's conflict between Paul and the Corinthian church. And they said, you know, we're not going to give to that. We're not going to send any money uh, that way. People get mad and they withhold their money. It's happened for centuries. Still happens today in churches. Happened in church I grew up in. It's awful. People withheld. And you should never do that. That's why it's important for Baptist churches to, to, uh, to uh, we, the way we do things, you put everything into the general fund and you disperse it from the general fund, no matter what it is. So you can't say that you're, you know, keeping this or that. And I'm, I'm just going to say, say it right out. And I don't think anybody's doing this here, but I want to say to you that if it ever crosses your mind, uh, that I'm going to withhold something because I don't agree with this or I don't agree with that. I don't like this or don't like that. That, that what they what he's, you know, I don't like the pastor or I don't like this person's doing this or that other. You're wrong in doing that. I'm just telling you you're wrong and it's sinful. And uh, I don't think anybody here does that though, but I, just by way of reminder, by way of warning for you today. 
Um, so there was conflict between Paul and Corinth. They didn't give to the collection. And Paul is going to use this reconciliation they now experience to talk about the giving and encourage the Corinthian church to, to participate in helping the impoverished Christians in Jerusalem. He will have two motivating factors here. God's own unending graciousness to them. That's one thing. God's been so good in you and so kind to you, you got to give. And then secondly, or you should be motivated to give. Paul never actually tells them they have to give. That's very important also to that. And then secondly, the incredibly disciplined and sacrificial giving of the churches in Macedonia, which were, by the way, the churches in Thessalonica, Philippi, and Berea. They were also churches in, in abject poverty themselves. Rome had taken their resources from them, and they caused them to be poor. And the Christians in those cities were also persecuted for their beliefs, and they also suffered from pagan refusal to buy Christian goods and services. And yet Paul says they have given beyond their means. That's what he says. So the Corinthian churches, uh, Christians, were far more prosperous and affluent than the Macedonian churches, but they hadn't given anything. And the Macedonian churches had given far beyond their expectation put upon them. So having come to know all of this, we can now approach today's text, which will teach us about the overflowing generosity that flows out of the heart of a Christian because of the grace of God that's been poured out upon him. So God had poured out his grace upon the Macedonian churches in such a way that Paul could say to them that the grace of God had overflowed in generosity regarding the collection. So today what we want to do is we want to see the impact of grace upon someone who gives generously, joyfully, graciously, and beyond their, uh, beyond their capacity for the glory of God. And I want to tell you that it's not wrong for us to be challenged by this. We are gripped today by money and materialism and leisure greatly in our day and age. We hold tightly to these things. We don't want to see uh, radical giving as something that Christians are called to do. We'd rather ignore that. We would rather cast dispersions on ministers saying, oh, he, you know, uh, he's just trying to get in our pockets. But what that reveals more than anything is the condition of our hearts, you know, in terms of our willingness to give. It reveals the condition of our hearts. It reveals where we put our trust. Is our trust in a big fat bank account or is it on God? Now, I want to look at the great, how the grace of God impacted the believers in Macedonia by giving us a kind of model for us to look to and we want to be impacted by God's grace in the same way that uh, uh, they were so that grace overflows through us uh, in generosity so we're preaching generosity not prosperity that's what we're preaching today all right generosity not prosperity <laughs> all right the first thing I want you to note is that uncommon generosity is an evidence in your life that God has poured graciousness into your heart. Uncommon generosity is an evidence in your life that God has poured his graciousness into your heart. And I think we ought to define what we mean here about the grace of God being poured out to his people. We're throwing grace around that being specific. And I'll begin first with this common grace. It's evident how he takes care of every one of us in the simple day-to-day -day living. We forget about this really much. And now we're reminded of it all of a sudden, aren't we? Uh, he gives us food and he provides for our needs and he gives us little triumphs and joys in life. Um, none of us have deserved the goodness of God even in these matters. And yet he gives 
to the just and the unjust. God makes it, as the Bible says, to rain upon the just as well as the unjust. He makes his sun to shine upon the just as well as the unjust. And here we have just seen how just dependent we are upon him for everything through this little health crisis that we're facing now. Our economy is a hair's breadth away from turning upside down and changing everything about the way we live. If we ever thought we were in control, well, I guess we better think again, hadn't we? And we must rely upon God for everything, for our daily bread, for our health, for the normalcy of life. And, and we've seen just how much people rely upon God in their panic rush to just go get some things in the last few days, isn't it? We easily forget how God takes care of us. But then we, even more astounding than that is the grace of God in our salvation. Apart from him, we are rebellious and sinners lost and dead in our sins. The Macedonians had in their minds that they had been delivered out of wicked paganness by the by paganism by the sheer mercy and grace of God. We've forgotten how our ancestors, we've, we've forgotten how our ancestors, and we think, oh, we're Christians, right? We grew up Christian. We forget our ancestors were steeped in paganism and in idolatry if you go back far enough. And, and how that gets lost on us uh, is it, it, it's so easily, it, it gets lost on us. But you can be in a culture, and I want to say this to you, you can be in a culture of Christianity and be just as lost as someone who's steeped in paganism. That's a fact. I hear people all the time talk about how um, when you ask them if they are Christian, they'll answer, well, I grew, up, I grew up Christian. I grew up Christian. What has that done for you? If you haven't been brought to God through faith and repentance in Jesus Christ, what has it done for you if you're still living in and for the pleasures of sin? You must come to the cross of Christ where you see the awfulness of your sin. You must be brought to see that you're not pleasing to God apart from the work of Jesus Christ. And then you will know true life-changing grace upon your life. And people will see an evident change upon you in many ways. And one of those ways will be uh, the generosity that flows from you. When the grace of God in all things washes over your mind, it will, be, uh, it will make you willing to give up so much, maybe all of it, for the cause of Jesus Christ. It will cause you to open up that fist that has been so tightly gripped to money and be free with it for the glory of God because you know that he has been gracious to you. All right, secondly... When you set your mind on the overflowing graciousness of God, graciousness of God, your joy in Christ will cause you to give in incomprehensible ways, no matter the circumstances. It will cause you to give in incomprehensible ways, no matter the circumstances. Look at verses two and three again. For in a severe test of affliction, speaking of the Macedonian churches, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, excuse me, and beyond their means of their own accord. Now there is, there is no circumstance that will keep someone from giving who has the grace of God overflowing from him. Have you ever thought about that? No circumstance that will keep someone from giving who has the grace of God overflowing. And they just have to give. Think of that word overflowing here. And that's a word that's actually rich with imagery. Uh, just a few days ago, the rain poured for hours in the middle of the night. And I woke up 
to see my creek overflowing with water. <laughs> now, that's a bad thing to happen for us, but um, thankfully it didn't overflow more than it did. But the rain poured in that creek so much it overflowed the banks. It spilled out in generous giving to all those who were around it. Uh, that's the idea of overflow here. God's grace pours into the hearts of men and women so that it comes out of them in generosity. And it's no matter the circumstances. That's the thing. Paul, Paul says that the Macedonians had a severe test of extreme affliction and extreme poverty. They were persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And it had an impoverishing effect on them and their communities. They were suffering for the cause of Christ. But what does it say that they had? It says that they had an abundance of joy. Now, joy is in the Bible is something that lasts. It's something that remains, you know, in, in um, comparison to, or in contrast to, to happiness, which is something that happens over uh, certain events uh, uh, that take place. But there's joy is something permanent. And the Macedonians had the joy of their salvation. They were persecuted, but they had experienced the presence of God in the midst of of their suffering. He is with his people in hard times. All of, all of the stuff in life had been taken from, from them so that they were stripped and left bare and they were left with nothing except Christ, what they had in Christ. And instead of despair, they had hope and joy and a sense of purpose. And that was all they had. It was all they had. It was, that's all they left with. And it, it spurred them to great generosity. That's what it did to them. It made them generous. That's a strange effect, isn't it? <laughs> that they might persecute me. That they might take my rights to worship. That they might not buy my goods and that I can't buy from them. And then that makes me generous. That's a strange effect, isn't it? Friend, I can tell you today that it's not the worst thing in the world for you to have so very little. It's not. The worst thing in the world as a Christian is to be cut off and cold towards God and to others. That's the worst thing for a Christian. The worst thing will be to feel like that you would hold tightly to your money and what you have because all you can think of are reasons why you shouldn't give it away. The Macedonians couldn't think of any reason not to give. And Paul says that they even gave beyond their means. And it reminds you, doesn't it, of someone that Jesus talked about, doesn't it? The poor widow who gave all she had. And the emphasis seems not to be on how much they gave or the, you know, or the quantity of what they gave, but what seems to matter is the quality of what they gave, right? It's the quality of it. You'll, you'll hear sometimes some people in, in the news, you know, sometimes you'll hear in the news about someone who's a rich person giving several thousand dollars to some noble cause, won't you? And you'll think, wow, that's a lot of money. But for them, it's like a drop in the bucket. And they'll never miss that money. So it wasn't sacrificial giving. You can't even compare that to what the Macedonians gave. They had sacrificial giving. And it's a matter of the heart, not the pocketbook. This is why God can do so much more with less 
right? Because it matters in the heart, doesn't it? What people give from the heart. And if he's got a bunch of poor people who's given their all, he'll, he'll do more than having a bunch of rich people who give an abundance out of their abundance. That's the principle. You'll hear some people struggling with their finances. So I'm hammered to rich. So let me go the other way. You'll hear some people struggling with their finances and they'll say, if I, if I had more, I'd give more. That's not necessarily true. In fact, it may be totally false. Giving is about a decision to prioritize giving no matter how much or how little you have. There are all kinds of people with plenty to give and they just don't. They have it wrapped up in stuff or in personal experiences. And the Macedonians proved to us that no matter how little you have, giving is a matter of the heart. They had the joy of their salvation as a motivator. But let me also say that they trusted in God to give them their needs. Paul wrote in Philippians 4.19, which was one of those Macedonian churches saying, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Every need of yours my God will supply. For you, this is the implicit trust that God will provide for your needs no matter how little you have. Sometimes a failure to give is simply a lack of faith and trusting God for your needs. The Macedonians had so very little and yet they gave beyond their means. Thirdly, grace motivating givers see giving as a great honor and grace that far outweighs keeping what you have. So they see it as a great honor and grace that far outweighs keeping what you have. Verses 4 and 5 again, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we accepted, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So the Macedonians gave themselves to the Lord first. And that's the important thing to remember about the genuineness of the giver. They gave themselves first to the Lord. They recognized that their whole lives are meant to be lived for the glory of God, not for their own selves. And you see the experience that people go through as Christians and, and you identify with that. So if you have experienced poverty and hardship or persecution, you identify with those that go through the same things. I, I see all, I, I don't know how many people here who remember the 77 flood. And, and anytime I hear about flooding, uh, flooding uh, out somewhere else, everyone here just feels for them and willing to open up their pocketbooks and give and help and be part, be part of that. So if you've experienced those things, you identify with those who go through the same things. Or if you haven't experienced that, but you see that there are people just like you that are suffering for things that, that, uh, for suffering for things that you don't have to suffer for, it just motivates you to give. I know that seeing my brothers and sisters in Christ being persecuted for the sake of Jesus puts anguish in my heart, even though I've never experienced persecution myself. In our passage today, Paul was collecting for the impoverished saints in Jerusalem. The Macedonians saw their plight and they recognized how hard they had it. And they didn't say this. They didn't say, hey, you know, we've got our own problems going on down here. We've got to take care of our own. And you'll hear that excuse all the time. It's not a Christian attitude. The Macedonians identified with the suffering of the Jerusalem church and they just had to give to them. They couldn't retreat and keep what they had just because they were suffering too. It was an honor for them to give to the church there. It was a grace given to them and they wanted that. And last thing, and I promise to be quick, finally grace motivating, gross motivating, excuse me, not gross, grace motivated giving looks at all the ways God has poured out 
his spiritual gifts on his people and then seeks to give to others as God has given to them. So it, it looks and sees all the ways God's poured out spiritual gifts to them and then seeks to give to others as God has given to them. Verse 6 and 7. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. See that you do. You know, you have all these other things, all these things God's blessed you with. See to it you excel in giving. The Corinthians had excelled in the spiritual gifts. They had faith. They excelled in speech. They had knowledge from God. They were earnest. They were loved by Paul. And Paul now says for them to give into, in accordance with what's been given to them. They have been blessed beyond measure by God's gifts and graces. And it's time for them to reflect uh, that in the participation in the collection of the saints in Jerusalem. And I'm going to say this to you. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. Max Hill used to say, our dear brothers departed and gone home to be the Lord. Max Hill used to say, he always heard it say, give till it hurts. He didn't like that. He said, I tell you, give till it feels good. Give till it feels good. And I just want to also add uh, to you that as we prepare to close, that such giving is an act of grace. It's not an act of compulsion. Paul didn't come and tell the Corinthians they had to give this much or that much or any at all. He spoke of this giving as an act of grace. And he used the Macedonians' willingness as a way to instruct the Corinthians in their need to, to give. And he didn't want them embarrassed when they gathered with the Macedonian representatives and they hadn't given yet. <laughs> he didn't want them to lose face. And that's why he sends Titus ahead of them uh, to gather the collection, to spare them of any embarrassment. But while giving is a grace and and we are not to be strong-armed into giving. Trust me, I, I won't be asking for your tax return so that I can know how much you ought to charge you, you know, with a letter and all that other stuff. Nonetheless, giving is a spiritual barometer. I'll say that to you. Anyone who's cold in giving is often cold spiritually. So I encourage you to be overwhelmed with God's grace in your life so that it overflows into incredible generosity. And then God on top of that blesses you. After that, and he does. And I ain't saying he give you your raise and I'm not you know, going to a prosperity way. I'm just saying he will bless you every single time. Can you handle like three, four more weeks of this giving stuff? It's what we're going to do though. And we're going to learn together and we're going to pray about this to, to be better and more bold and more generous in our giving and, and let it, oh, God's grace overflow through us in generosity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just give thanks to you, God. We thank you, Lord, for all you have given to us, Lord. And, 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 and I'm not thinking, I'm not thinking prosperity-wise materially. Oh, God, you've given us so much in Christ Jesus. We are sinners and you've given us righteousness. We were orphans and, sin and rebels against your cause and you've made us your sons and daughters. You've given us an inheritance, Lord. You, you've given us yourself. Lord, may we be generous with what we have. May we look to give May it overflow out of us in abundance, in generosity, God. Because I know if it's doing that in our people, they are spiritually, spiritually well, spiritually healthy, spiritually happy. Bless us, O oh Lord, in these things. Help us to do these things. Help us to honor you, not by compulsion, but out of great joy. 
for what you have done for us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing one verse. Lead me to Calvary. Hymn number 490. If God calls you and lets you know, I'll be here with you and we'll pray as we stand.